0: Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem-solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
1: MLS's job isn't to do what's good for the American player. MLS's job isn't to do what's good for the U.S. men's national team. MLS's job is to do what's good for MLS. That American players look abroad is to be expected. But that more and more American players are being forced to look abroad is what's puzzling. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lalas, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. As you heard, we'll be talking about the responsibility that MLS has or doesn't have when it comes to domestic talent. We'll have our Mossy Makes the Case segment. We'll be answering your questions in our Hashtag Ask Alexi segment and so much more. But first, as always, joining me, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy. He is a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. How are you, Mossy? How's uh, how's things? How was your weekend?
2: It was great. I went to the uh, Galaxy game uh, yesterday. Good times. Uh, Jovan Karofsky, uh coming through with the tickets. Good seats. So. An emphatic win. Emphatic win.
1: So. By the Galaxy. Did uh, Zlatan score?
2: He did. He scored from the penalty spot.
1: You uh, saw Zlatan score at the StubHub as they trounced the, uh, Seattle. Right? Is that what, it, what was it? Three nothing. Three
2: 0 Yeah, yeah. Wow. I'll, I'll get it? the Keith Cossigan reference out of the way early this week. Keith, your team sucks. Uh, that was a dreadful performance. <laughs> How was performance. the experience? In general? It was great. It was great. Uh, well, what, when,
1: when you say it's great, what was great about
2: it? Great Just- seats, good atmosphere, uh, fun game, and seeing Zlatan is fascinating. You know, you can't take your eyes off him. I mean, the, the incredulity at some of the passes that his teammates play to him or not reading where he wants to go with the ball. It's just so funny how frustrated he gets. So that was...
1: So you're actually taking entertainment value and joy from seeing Zlatan's frustration yes. at what is surrounding him. And, and we'll we'll talk more about the MLS later in the, yeah. uh, in the pod. But uh, there is uh, something to be said for seeing Zlatan out of his comfort zone, playing for a team that... For the most part this year has speaking of teams that suck uh been very very bad and certainly poor defensively and for him f- first time watching him play for a team that isn't good. So you you continue uh along with other people to enjoy seeing his frustration at times.
2: I do, yeah. And at times I think he's in the wrong. I mean the, the teammate yeah, but that's ma- not made the right play but he's just he's not willing to like run chase down a ball so he wants everything played to his feet and sometimes you know, the, the, playing it sort of over the top to him is the correct play, and he just doesn't want to run after it at his age. So,
1: Well, you know, as much as Laton would love us to have this entire podcast dedicated to him, <laughs> it's not going to be, so we are going to uh, move on. All right, ready to light this candle? Yep. All right. As always, we start the pod off with... Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Yes, indeed, it's time for my State of the Union, where I look at a part of the game from an American perspective, and it goes a little something like this. Major League Soccer has a problem. Or maybe it doesn't. Despite the increased quality and quantity of domestic American talent, MLS has been trending toward fewer playing opportunities for the American player. Now, MLS's job isn't to do what's good for the American player. MLS's job isn't to do what's good for the U.S. men's national team. MLS's job isn't even really to do what's good for soccer in America. If any of these things happen as a byproduct, that's great. But MLS's job is to do what's good for MLS. It's a business, not a charity, and it seems that MLS has decided that the American player isn't good for business, yet. So, I can see their point. In general, American players aren't as sexy, and they don't sell as well. International players, though, they have an increased market value, and often an increased real or perceived quality on the field. Incoming talent to MLS is encouraged, coveted, and orchestrated by the MLS structure. By the way, this isn't solely an MLS problem. This phenomenon has been going on in the EPL. They've been wrestling with this for years. That American players look abroad is to be expected, but that more and more American players are being forced to look abroad is what's puzzling. Because if Major League Soccer wants to be, as they say, the league of choice, quote-unquote, and they want to promote their homegrown initiatives and the youth development infrastructure, then Major League Soccer needs to construct and show a clear pathway to the field. Otherwise, MLS, the highest level professional soccer in the U.S., may very well become the league of choice, just not the choice of the American player. So there you have it. That's my State of the Union for this week. Mossy, comments, questions, concerns regarding uh, what I said.
2: Yeah. You mentioned the Premier League. This issue is red hot in England right now. It Mm -hmm. used to be because of national team failure. Now it's because of national team success. They had a very good World Cup this summer. They won the under 17 and under 20 World Cups last year. They want to capitalize on this, build on the momentum, take advantage of having all these good young players. And what's interesting is young Americans have been gravitating to Germany because Mm -hmm. that's where they feel they can play. And you're starting to see the early seeds of that with England too the last couple of years with Jadon Sancho, Reece Nelson, Ademola Luckman. And so they're starting to grapple with seeing their young players uh, have to go to Germany to play. Uh, We cover the Bundesliga and MLS on Fox. When you see a Christian Pulisic, a Wesson McKinney, pretty soon Josh Sargent do you find yourself thinking, "Oh, I wish they were in MLS, or the fact that they felt it was a better move in their career to bypass MLS and go to Germany is an indictment of MLS? How do you read that when you see those guys performing well in Germany?
1: Well, you know, as I said in the State of the Union, uh, no matter what you do, they're going to be heads turned. You, you grow up in the United States, you grow up in a culture, in, in this case, 2018, with what American soccer certainly has become, but still what it is, and it's still relative to the rest of the world in its infancy, and so you're going to have people looking at those opportunities. But that they, are being forced, I think that's where the concern is. And I want to be really, really clear. This isn't some xenophobic, nationalistic type of rant saying, oh, the foreigners are coming in and taking all the American jobs. That's not the case at all. As a matter of fact, if any of you have listened to me for any length of time, you will know that I advocate that the league, when it comes to Major League Soccer, the rules in place shouldn't even be there. If you want to have a team that's uh, populated with all international talent and all imported talent... Go for it. Have at it. I don't believe that there there should be restrictions. But this is where myself and others disagree. I was talking with my agent actually this morning, an agent, Richard Motzkin over at WMG, in terms of full clarity, uh, who represents a lot of American players. And when some of these American players aren't getting the opportunities or aren't getting the increase in pay that others are, and some of that money is going to lesser quality that's being imported, he obviously has a problem, and he advocates for Major League Soccer imposing and mandating changes. And ultimately, if that has to come from U.S. Soccer as the overarching governing body, he believes that there should be mandates out there. And we've seen them at different times in Liga MX and different places where things are put in place that either directly or indirectly impact but basically what you're doing is, and I also mentioned this to State of the Union, is providing a piece of charity for American players. Do you think that MLS has a responsibility to the American player because it is, the, at this point, the only Division I sanctioned team uh, league in the United States uh, when it comes to professional soccer, men's soccer?
2: I agree with you. I don't like some of these rules. I mean, the most dramatic example is in China, where the the Federation feels very strongly that the domestic league should operate in the service of the national team. So they've put in all sorts of rules the last couple of years. The latest one this year is that for any league game, you have to have the same amount of Chinese under 23 players in the lineup than foreign players. And can you imagine a rule like that in the Premier League? Or I mean, and so I, that that makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Rules like that, but I, but I, I think it, you know, it, I think there should be some effort on the part of clubs to develop American players too. I think it's it's also good business if you develop uh, an American player, he becomes really good, he can become a fan favorite, and also uh, if you develop a player, it means you didn't pay anything to get him. That and then you, if you sell him, you're obviously making some sort of profit on it. So uh, I, I I would like to see MLS clubs make a little bit more of a concerted effort, but I don't know if it should be mandated. If you ha- should have these. Strict rules.
1: Well, well, my, my ears are burning right now because I can, I, I can, I can envision that uh, MLS folks, people that work for the league, uh, owners, coaches. GMs that may or may not listen to it, not that many do, but the ones that do, uh, they're probably saying, yes, but Alexi, uh, look at these players that we have had. Ownership will say, yeah, look at the millions of dollars that we are spending on the infrastructure of our youth development, whether it's through, through coaching, whether it's actual training facilities, all of this type of stuff that we have done. So we are providing opportunities. And I don't discount the fact that it is a better landscape than it was certainly when I was growing up for the American player. And there are opportunities. But you cannot deny the fact, and the the numbers are out there, when it comes to, in particular, U.S. men's national team eligible players, the trend of playing time consistently now over the past few years has gone down, down, down. There are are some that argue, and you you mentioned England, there are some that would argue, and I've heard this argument both in terms of Major League Soccer and in terms of the EPL, that it actually makes it more competitive. And therefore, the players that do rise to the top, and the cream will rise to the top, the ones that you're getting are elite, and therefore, by being challenged as opposed to being gifted things in the forms of mandates and re- restrictions and regulations, you're actually getting those best players to come through. Do you buy any of that?
2: Yeah, I think there is something to that. Yeah, I mean, the stat that that everybody freaked out over was during that U.S.-Mexico game, Taylor Twelman said that only two of the... 21 leading scores in MLS are U.S. national team eligible. And so that, that got everybody in, on, on Twitter in, in a tizzy. And yeah, it's funny because you look at the Premier League and they've also brought in a lot of foreign managers. And foreign managers are not going to care about necessarily helping the, the the you know homegrown player. And it was funny, this past summer, Manchester City were denied a, a work permit for this young Brazilian, uh, Douglas Luiz, who Pep wanted to have on the team this season. They ended up having to loan him out. And Pep wanna, went on a big rant in his press conference and talked about how, you know, I see the guy train every day. I know he's good enough. And who's the FA to tell me he's not. But then he took it a step further. He said, I don't understand this whole work permit thing in general. Anybody should be allow- allowed to work anywhere they want, which that's Pep going to a place that he probably should stay away from, especially in this era of Brexit. But it just speaks to the fact that a foreign coach coming in, he could care less about this whole issue of young English players getting playing time. He's just looking to build the best team possible, and he feels like there's a foreign player that could have helped his team this year. He's not worried about Phil Foden and what that means for the English national team if he doesn't get on the field. So you're dealing with that too. As MLS tries to you know, attract these sort of big-name foreign managers, too, those guys are going to care even less about this whole issue. And so that's something to think about, too.
1: But but keep in mind, MLS, uh, this is by design where we are right now. This is a strategic play by the ownership of MLS. They are doing this because they believe it's best for their business. And as I mentioned in, in the State of the Union, oftentimes the perception of a player that is coming from the outside in is is greater, and they are of greater value, whether it's a sell-on type of situation or just there's a perception that they are better on the field. Sometimes they don't—the reality went after sometimes doesn't happen to that. But if you're selling tickets and you bring somebody in with that international pedigree and that CV that has the international part of it, automatically that's more sexy, and it turns heads, and I get it. I, I, I in, this, in this day and age where we talk about uh, youth development— I hate talking about youth development. I don't find it interesting at all. <laughs> I don't want to. I, I don't care. I want a finished product. I don't enjoy watching the maturation, uh, the maturation of a player. That's not something that appeals to me. I know there's l- people that love it and they, they they enjoy seeing and extrapolating out. This is what this player is now, and we're going to see it here, and I'm going to see him develop into that. I, I, it really doesn't. It doesn't interest me. But what I don't agree with is. I would just like MLS to be very, very clear and open and honest that this is their business strategy. This is what they want to do. And in doing so, recognize the fact that there is a young kid playing today, growing up, maybe watching the Galaxy, maybe watching Atlanta, maybe watching wherever. And he is going to look at his options. And at times where you want them to aspire, you want to be something that's aspirational for your community and for your country. And there's going to be times with the decisions that they have made, albeit it could be very, very smart business decisions, where that player is not going to aspire to play with your team. If you can can deal with that, that's fine. But be honest and open with that. Because that's what has happened in the way that they have structured this league. It's certainly happening in practice on the field. And not, all, not in all cases. Because for every Portland, you're going to throw a uh, Philadelphia Union and that type of stuff. And it doesn't mean that there aren't players that have come through. You throw Tyler, Tyler Adams, who is the archetype of what you want coming through from a young, uh, a young age. But if this is what you want to be and this is what you want to do, as I've said, have at it. I have no problem with it. But be honest and, and open and upfront because there are going to be more and more players. And I'm not talking about the elites when it comes to Chris, Christian Polisic. I'm talking about just players in general that maybe they don't even want to go to Europe. But if they see that as their best option going forward, is that good for your business going forward? And they have, in the way that they've structured the league, in the way that they've structured targeted allocation money, and in the way that the... Uh, roster restrictions are currently in place, that's what they are doing right now. And once again, I hear my ears burning, and I'm sure there's guys over there in New York and say, yes, but, yes, but, yes, but. And, And I don't have an answer, because the answer to people that are fired up about this is that, like we said, you impose things, and you mandate that that happens. That opens up a whole other can of worms in terms of some of the problems. And once again, it goes to, ultimately, I believe in the American player. I believe the American player to be successful, whether it is going over to Europe in different places or whether it is even in the environment right now in MLS where they are not being catered to and they are not being valued to the extent that incoming players are being valued. They will, they will rise above it one way or the other. From an MLS perspective and a business perspective, they believe that this is the right thing to do. Time will tell if this is the proper way to go forward or if this is just a momentary direction that they have gone, and it's going to veer back in a different direction, uh, d- different direction going forward. What, wh- is there any restrictions in, uh, in Brazil? Do they do anything down there?
2: No, but uh, I mean, it's, it's not really an issue in Brazil. Right. They're not bringing that many <laughs> foreigners. That <it's> gonna... <laughs> They're not bringing a lot of Americans down there to populate the Brazilian League?
1: <laughs> no, no. All right. Well, listen, I, I'm sure that people out there have their own thoughts. Please hit us up over there on uh, social media and let us know if you agree or if you disagree, uh, if you have an answer if you have a clear-cut pathway, or if you were in charge, if you were in Don Garber and you were sitting in front of all the owners of MLS, how you would approach this business and how much or how little would it involve the domestic American player that you are developing? And how much of responsibility do you feel that you have to the American player? Do you think that the American restaurateurs out there, do they have a responsibility to the young domestic chefs out there, to hire young domestic chefs? I, and, and you know, I'm being a little bit flippant. I, I, I understand that. But these are the types of things uh, that we think. And what it gets into, a much bigger question of when you have these big, at times governmental, at times uh, just infrastructures that govern uh, and ultimately create the rules that we operate on, how much... Do you want them involved? And how little? And it gets into a much bigger debate about politics and, and country and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, when we're talking about the United States Soccer Federation, who is put in place, who we have all agreed is the governing body and is there to do what's good for soccer in the United States, how much of them do you want to impose on Major League Soccer, which is a business I I am of the opinion that Major League Soccer needs to have the ability, obviously within reason, you want to have safety precautions, you want to do all that kind of stuff, but within reason, I want them to be able to decide what they want to do with whatever they feel is best for their business, whether I agree with it or not, or whether you agree with it or not, I want to give them the opportunity to either uh, succeed or fail, by the decisions that they make. And they have obviously made a decision at this point that this is the way that they want to go. We'll see if it's successful, either in the short term or in the long term. All right, moving on. Mossy makes the case. Yes, indeed, it's time for Mossy makes the case. That point in the pod where my good friend David Mossy talks about something that's riling him up in the world of soccer out there. What is it this week that you wish to make a case about?
2: Uh, My case this week is that people need to stop glorifying South American football and need to recognize its problems. Uh, how dare you. Last week, the group stage of the UEFA Champions League kicked off, and also the quarterfinals of the Copa Libertadores. So you had matches from both competitions on the same days. And I read so many tweets bemoaning the fact that South American football doesn't get equal attention and and equal recognition and and people are missing out. It's such a shame. Some even went as far as to say they prefer the Libertadores to the Champions League because of the passion, uh, which is a, a very hipster thing to say. And it's nonsense. And that's coming from a South American. I'm Brazilian. I follow the Libertadores. I tweet about it. There's three Brazilian clubs still in it, Grêmio, Cruzeiro, and Palmeiras. I hope they do well. But I also recognize that what I watched a few hours earlier, whether it's Barcelona, Real Madrid, Liverpool, Man City, Bayern, PSG, Juventus, it's much, much better. It's football on a whole different level. There's no comparison. Obviously, one of the big issues is the best South American players now play in Europe, and they're going there younger and younger. But also, this passion in South America that people love so much uh, sometimes actually has a detrimental effect on the game. Because if you watch a Libertadores match, there's this nervous atmosphere, this tension that that ratchets up the violence. It impedes players from making the right decisions. And I think it contributes to it being an overall uh, much inferior product. Uh, The gulf, to me, has never been wider. And is it ever going to change? I don't know. But the first step is recognizing there's a problem and stop convincing yourself that what you're watching is better than it is.
1: All right. A couple of things. Uh, Number one, I just want to make sure that I'm clear about this. You are implying that the pressure that is felt is so immense, so much more so than even in the place that we normally associate with pressure, which, which would be Europe. It's so much more so down in South America that the players are inhibited in terms of what they are going to do, and then therefore the quality of the game suffers. Is that what, was that what you were saying? There's
2: something to that, yeah. And, and I feel uh, strange saying that because uh, whatever charm there is in South American football does come from the passion of the fans. I mean, I talked about Boca last week and, right. and loving that documentary, and it's in my bucket list to go see a game at La Bombonera, and I stand by all that, but it crosses a line at some point. I, I'm particularly concerned with Brazilian fans. I mean, the the... the The violence in stadiums in Brazil and just the pressure that the players feel now, I think it has a detrimental effect on them. It's it's this nervous pressure cooker of an atmosphere that I think actually envelops the players
1: sometimes. It's so interesting because when we talk about the American player, oftentimes the argument for why they should go over to Europe is to get in a more competitive and a more pressure-filled environment. And you're you're saying that in a certain sense, when these young players from Brazil go to Europe, they are escaping the throes of a oppressive type of environment, and they actually can finally show who they are when they go into this uh, utopian existence of playing in Europe. I absolutely am saying that. There, there's something to it. I'm telling wow. you. Wow, that yeah. is a that is a hot take. I say hot in uh, Portuguese. Ganch. It's such a ganch take, my friend. The second thing I want to do, and oftentimes when we talk about soccer, and especially when we compare and contrast, and I'll get back to the compare and contrasting because I have something to say about that too, but this is my question to you. Whenever we compare and contrast teams or players, or in this case, leagues, or, or I guess in this case, continents, uh, continents <laughs> oftentimes it's, it's 30,000 feet type of stuff. So when you say that it's less quality, all right, how does that ultimately manifest on the field? Point to some examples on the field where it's less quality when you are watching it. And, 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 and like I said, specifically as to this player does this or this team does this that would never happen over there and why that to you is equated to lesser quality. because, because I'll, And I'll just finish with this. Uh, we worked with Bundesliga together. We worked it this weekend. I saw a player in the Bundesliga, one of the great leagues in the world, arguably one of the, one of the best. I, I saw a goalkeeper let a ball go through his legs that would make a, an under 10 uh, player <laughs> laugh. I saw a player uh, who's, who, by all accounts, is making millions of dollars come on the field as a substitute and miss a sitter from inside the six-yard box and put it up 30 yards into the goal. And if you would put that same scenario in Brazil... Would you have equated it with those players being under too much pressure? What, what I'm saying is, is, is the circumstance and are you, are you shaded by the fact that these games are coming from a certain place as opposed to the actual play that is happening on the field?
2: No, I, I think there are exceptions. There are bad players in Europe, bad teams, bad games. There are good players, good teams, good games in South America. But generally speaking, if you watch a Libertadores game, the the teams do struggle to string passes together more. You see more misplaced passes. You see more like terrible defensive blunders. Uh, I frankly, it's gotten to the point where I have a tough time watching a UEFA Champions game and then watching a Libertadores game right afterwards. I was going to ask you about that. I mean, when you watch a a high-level UCL game. And then you turn on right afterwards and watch a CCL game, or on weekends, watch a big time Premier League game and then watch MLS right afterwards. Could your brain just sort of automatically shift and recognize, okay, this isn't as good and I'm not judging it by the same standard? Or is it a little bit like shocking to you, the, the difference going other? Okay, from so one this is where other?
1: optics and aesthetics are important. Okay, so the, for, for years, the actual grass that it's played on, that has an impact. You, you, you can laugh and you can say, oh, but that, that actually has an impact. The way that it is televised, from microphones to cameras to camera angles to the actual layout of the stadium, to the fact that the stadium may or may not be full, all of those different things can inform you. Or, or like I said, can warp your perception of what is actually uh, going on on the field. The other thing is, and I, I learned this over the years in different different cases, but certainly when I learned I learned it in uh, back when we did the uh, Women's World Cup. And uh, you you inevitably, as a human being that has watched a lot of male soccer, come in and watch women's soccer, and you say, well, this would never happen or this would never happen and stuff like that. And you very, very quickly un- understand that, you're going to drive yourself crazy doing that. And in order to enjoy that, I've had to divorce myself of how I view a, a, a men's game versus, a, women, uh, versus a, a women's game. And to a certain extent, I think you have to be able to cut yourself off. And by the way, it, it, doesn't, it, doesn't, even, it doesn't mean that you have to accept lower quality. But I think you have to accept the fact that the circumstances and the environment, both on the field and around the field, can go into making what you see look either better or worse. Now, I'm making a case for it. I'm not denying the fact that, there, uh, that from a quality standpoint, and this is where I get into the details, and, the, and this is why I always ask people for specifics, If you watch the first touch of players, I think oftentimes the quality or the level of quality can be equated with the type of first touch that people have. And an overall level when it comes to a league or a team uh, or, in this case, a continent of that first touch. And that's something. You talked about passing, crossing the ball. That type of stuff where there are more times when the cross is at least dangerous as opposed to into the stands or shanked here or just completely it's, it's missed. It's more a pass than just a hopeful uh, cross. Uh, <laughs> exactly. And, and, and it, is, it is at times suge- subjective, but I think you can get into the detail, but it is nuanced. And, and at times it takes times to figure it out. But I always ask people because you shouldn't let somebody get away with saying, this is poor quality without explaining to me why you think it's poor quality. I don't have to agree once again, but I just want to hear why you think it's poor quality specifically, other than it, it's, not, it, you know, it's not the Supreme Court's definition of, of obscenity. You know, you, you, I'll know it when I see it. Well, okay, when you see it, Tell it to me, but show it to me specifically as to why that's bad quality. Now, I absolutely agree with
2: you. I've always said this. There's a gulf in quality, but it's exacerbated. It's, it's just an inferior product by things like the pitch conditions, the stadium being empty. It just doesn't look as yep. appealing when you watch it on television. So I absolutely agree there's an element to that. Uh, two more things on this. Uh, Boca actually played River this weekend. They, they lost to River 2-0 at La Bombonera. And Grant Wall tweeted that this is the best rivalry in all of sports. Now, I've always put Boca River up there as one of my favorite uh, soccer rivalries because I think when you're talking rivalries, it's more about the passion, the antipathy between the fan bases, the history. But if you were to interject, like, quality into that discussion and compare, like, a Boca River game to Barcelona-Real Madrid, could, could you still find yourself making a case that anything in South America now should be put on the similar plane, that, that watching a Boca River game is... is, is Equatable to watching Bartholomew around? How, do, how much does like the quality of the game factor into your ranking about what
1: the best rivalries doesn't, are? It, it doesn't. doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm I, I'm fine with that. I, I think, think it is especially, more about you know, in the way that Grant I, I think phrased it. it. Yeah. Because you know, you're going to come with U.S. Mexico. You're going to come with a million different right, right. Uh, things. And I, and I don't think it necessarily has to do with quality. What, uh, what, did he say of any sport? Is that what he said? I think he said of any sport. What would, it, what would uh, another one uh, that uh, that's not soccer be? What, what about your Wolverines? Do they have something that uh, equates? Or Michigan, uh, it Ohio hasn't State? been much of a rivalry the last 15 years or so, but, but yeah, you Michigan, Ohio Michigan, Ohio State. Ohio? Nah, come on. That's, that's not happening.
2: Yeah, American sports, there's Yankees, Red Sox, Duke, North Carolina, Michigan, Ohio State. But I agree with you. I think when, when you're judging rivals, it's more about the past. I've always put Celtic Rangers up there. And in terms of quality, that's nowhere yeah, near the same level as— Your bucket
1: list, you don't want to go down to La Bombonera. La Bombonera. La, La Bombonera. You don't want to go down there because of the quality that you see on the That's no, not what's the drawing you down absolutely. there, right? I mean, it's the, yeah. it's, La, it's La Bombonera shakes. Exactly. <laughs> and why haven't you been down there? What, 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 I know it just never worked out and just never worked we out but I've got I, to do I, this. I'm gonna do it I'm gonna we, do it get get with your dad I mean this this is a wonderful father-son type of bonding trip
2: uh, wh- one last thing that was very amusing last week uh, so the Ronaldo red card, which we're going to talk, talk yep. about, happens in the Champions League. There's no VARs, So all I heard about for several hours was about, you see, this is why you need VAR. VAR would have fixed this. And then a few hours later, I watched the Boca Cruzeiro game, and there was the worst red card I've ever seen in a match that had VAR. The referee actually looked at it and talked himself into a red card. It was a play where it was a cross into the box. Two guys went for it, and their heads collided. But it was a normal – it was a nasty collision, but it was a normal play where two guys are going for the ball. One guy invariably got the worst It. The referee looked at it and decided to send off the other guy. It was ludicrous. Even it was a Cruzetto player he sent off. Even the Boca players were looking at the referee like, "Are you serious right now?" Like it was ridiculous. So it's just funny how VAR
1: cuts both ways. You know. (laughs) We're living in a VAR, VAR world. I I, I can't remember what game I was watching uh, over the weekend, but I saw a player tell a referee to go to VAR, and he was playing in a league that didn't have VAR. (laughs) So, oh my goodness, it's crazy. Uh, It's crazy. All right, well, hit us up if you uh, agree, once again, disagree, uh, with uh, anything that we've said here regarding the alleged gulf and disparity of quality when it comes to uh, South American uh, soccer versus uh, European soccer. All right, moving on. Ask Alexi. All right, it's time for our Ask Alexi segment when you send in those questions and comments and concerns with the hashtag Ask Alexi on all the different social media platforms out there. And please do that throughout the week, and we take a few of them. And if you're lucky, you will get my good friend David Mossi reading one of those questions, comments, and concerns on the State of the Union podcast, as he's about to do right now. First up, at TSC Politics, why are
2: so many young Americans going to Germany to play as opposed to England, Italy, and Spain?
1: We talked about this, I think, this weekend and and last weekend when we're doing the Bundesliga. I think that there has been a recognition from the powers that be, both of the individual teams and of the Bundesliga, that this is a fertile market where they can get quality players, whether they're players that are domestic players, American players, or players that are just playing in Major League Soccer, where they can get them for less money. Uh, They know that they are going to be of quality. When was the last time you heard a player that potentially was going to the Bundesliga have uh, immigration issues. Uh, Work permits. Work permits, exactly. And when it comes to England, uh, we're always talking about, oh, can you get the work permit? So they make it easy for these players to come come over. I think that there is something of a cultural nature that the Germans, I think, they are much more open-minded, I think they get credit for, when it comes to the business of soccer and they are much more open-minded and, and open-hearted as to playing youth uh, and playing young players, be it American players or anybody out there. So I think it's attractive. And we, you know, we talked in the State of the Union about the fact that there are more young domestic players that are getting their heads turned by opportunities over in Europe at the expense of, uh, of MLS. And I think the Bundesliga, with what has happened and what is happening, is really going to mine this. As, and that's, it's, that's smart business. And I think from an on-the-field perspective, they're going to get some good, uh, good quality. Uh, as opposed to England, we've talked about the challenges that exist over in England. And it is the, the number one league in the world in terms of eyeballs. And I would argue uh, when it comes to entertainment, they do a really good job of doing that. It is massively populated by incoming players, uh, but not a lot of those are American. And uh, when it comes to Spain, there's very, very few that have, been, uh, that have been over there. And I think when it comes to Italy and Spain in particular, once again, you go back to the cultural type of thing. I remember when many, many years ago back in the last century when I was playing over in Italy and things have changed there with the Bosman ruling and the opening of the European community and a whole lot of more Italians have gone out of Italy. But still, there's a very provincial type of culture that exists when it comes uh, to their soccer. And especially when it comes to Americans, you are still, even to this day with as far as we have come, you're still looked at as an anomaly. You're still looked at with a curiosity, and you are still looked at skeptically. And I just think that Germany, once again, whether it's just cultural or, or, or by design when it comes to how they want to run their business, they are much more apt to open their hearts and minds to the possibility of a young American player coming over there than others are.
2: Next up, at Coach Ed 44 is this crazy? Jose Mourinho to the LA Galaxy! Exclamation point.
1: Okay, so uh, we we fired off. What, what was it? Was it last week that uh, Ziggy Schmidt got fired? Is that uh, when it happened? Or was it two weeks ago? Either way, Ziggy Schmidt, the uh, then coach of the LA Galaxy, was fired, resigned, whatever you want to talk, call it. I mean, he's no longer the coach then. We all, we've all all been through those things. And so now this opening is there for a team that, despite the fact that they won this week, and I think you saw them play, they do have problems. Dominic Kinnear, the interim manager right now who was the assistant coach is there, a guy who's had incredible success over the years. Maybe he takes them on a run and they continue on. There are going to be a lot of resumes that are going to be thrown uh, and phone calls from agents and uh, probably directly from potential candidates for this job. Because this is not just the job of coaching the LA Galaxy, it's coaching the LA Galaxy in Los Angeles, which is an attractive thing when it comes to a player or when it comes to a coach. Jose Mourinho there, is it crazy? It's not crazy, but I think it would have to come in a situation where he looked at it as a respite. He looked at it as a sabbatical, as a break away from, quote-unquote, the real world. And that's a recipe for disaster. I, I actually, I, I love Jose Mourinho. I was talking to uh, Zach Zach, Zach Kenwyn, yes, uh, a huge Liverpool fan, and to no to nobody's surprise, I asked him about Jose Mourinho, and I, he wouldn't mind me talking this. He said, "I'm over him. I'm done with him." You know, and there's a lot of people I think that have got it's gotten old for them. Even people that support him, I am not one of those. I I still love him. Uh, I still think he's quality. When it comes to coaching the LA Galaxy, I find it very hard to see this as happening, and even if it could happen. I'm not sure that that's the way that the LA Galaxy needs uh, needs to go right now, despite my love for Jose Mourinho, because I don't think that he would be coming for the right reasons. I would think he would be lo- coming, as I said, as an escape, as opposed to coming to do the job.
2: And Mourinho involved in a tasty game this week. Manchester United faced Darby County in the League Cup. That's Mourinho managing against Frank Lampard. So, in the what? League Cup. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's Alex Dowd's uh, two favorite human beings: Jose Mourinho and Frank Lampard. He's a big Chelsea fan. So, right, uh, I heard. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, finally, I'm excited for this one. At Patch Smith 21, you talked about the top five greatest U.S. soccer players in your last podcast, mm-hmm. excluding goalkeeper. Actually, it was top ten, Patch. I'd be interested in hearing the top five U.S. goalkeeper list as well.
1: Who you got? Interesting. Interesting. So yes, I did exclude goalkeepers because they are a necessary evil. They only play one position. And I think you could you could almost populate the entire top 10 with the type of quality of goalkeepers that we have had over the years. I have said this on the record before that when I, and I don't think I can come up with my top five here, but maybe I'll do that for next week. But I will tell you this. You're going to have have deference to players that you played with, right? So, and, and I'm not just I'm not just saying uh, because I played with him, but I would probably put Tony Muller at number one for for this reason, his ability with his feet. He was playing at a time he actually played through that time where you couldn't pass it back to the goalkeeper. He was involved in that whole changeover stuff. But even before that, this was a guy who, whether I was on the field or not, I felt comfortable and confident that he was not only going to be able to control the ball with his feet, but he was going to act as that. He was a man ahead of his time, really. Jose Mourinho would have loved Tony Miola because of his ability to be a distributor of the ball from a goalkeeper and now, in in this day and age, a slash sweeper type of position. He also made the big saves. I will say this. uh, When people would go and watch training and they would see, I don't know, a Casey Keller or a, a Brad Friedel or... Uh, I guess a a Tim Howard and stuff like that, and they would juxtapose it with Tony Miola, you would leave a training going, how is it possible that Tony Miola is starting over any of them? And at different times he did, and certainly early, early days. And then Brad and Casey and Tim had their time. And the reason was when the whistle blew, despite what he may have done or not done in training, Tony Miola was a gamer. And he would save the ball, and he would save your ass. And as a defender, he wanted someone to, to do that. So maybe next week I will come in. It's a good question. Uh, maybe next week I will come in with my top five. But I'm already telling you right now that I'm pretty sure. But I'll, I'll think about it over the week, and I can be convinced. So if you're out there and you want to try to spin me, spin me as to why it shouldn't be somebody else.
2: Uh, Alex Dowd is a Chelsea fan. Does the name Dan Petrescu mean anything to you?
1: No, it means nothing to Because it
2: does mean something to Tony Miola. Oh, really? You're (laughs) going to go to the near post.
1: Is that what's, what's... Yeah, Explain right. it to the, to the listener. I mean, you can't uh, have an inside joke on a podcast. 94, 94. World, World Cup against Romania. Uh, and, and this is where I will defend Tony Miola on that. So for those that don't know or weren't even born, and there's probably some of you out there, back in, uh, once again, the 1900s, there was a uh, World Cup that was held in 1994 in our own country here in the United States. Uh, yours truly was a member of that team. We played Romania in what was the third game of the group uh, stage of the World Cup. Romania populated by a bunch of very, very good players. And we lost one to nothing at the Pasadena Rose Bowl. And the goal that came was off of what looked like a cross cum shot from the side. Basically, Tony got beat near post, which for a lot of goalkeepers and for a lot of soccer aficionados out there is, is sacrilege. I will to, to this day defend that because Tony Miola cheated the cross constantly. I happen to believe it's good to cheat the cross because you're playing the odds. And the, and the odds that that one thing goes in, and yes, it happened at the worst time, which is Murphy's Law or whatever, you know, the soccer gods will, will smite you uh, at the most inopportune time, and that's what happened. But I will defend him to the day I die because the amount of crosses and therefore the amount of opportunities that were shut down because Tony cheated the cross, I will take that. Uh, and, and as a coach or as a player, you can't cover everything. And you're trying to hedge your bets, especially as a defender. You're trying to hedge your bets because you know at some point you're going to make a mistake. But you have to understand what the capabilities are out there. And the, the chances of that that near post go, uh, goal coming in, if you cover it, you give up so much more than if you don't cover it is what I'm saying. So that's my rant. And by the
2: way, supposed Chelsea fan Alex Dowd had no clue who Dan Petruska <laughs> was. And let me say one more thing about Alex Dowd. I submitted recently on Twitter a top 10 Brazil list, got all sorts of hate for it came on this podcast, addressed it, explained my criteria, explained my reasons, people can agree or disagree, but still, at least there was some basis for discussion there. Alex Dowd felt the need to re-release that list with these snazzy Fox graphics, introducing me to a whole new wave of hate, people that hadn't seen it their first time around. So I got called an idiot more times the last few days than I, uh, so I'd like to thank Alex Dowd for for that. Well, Um,
1: Masi, knowing (laughs) you, I know that you are an an evolved human being, and in this day and age where disobedience... agreement Automatically, people equate that with a moron um, or that you are just a bad person. We we, <laughs> we don't do that here on the State of the Union. We can have disagreements. I can disagree with Mossy. Mossy can disagree with me. You can disagree with me. But I value the fact that you have an opinion. I want you to express that opinion. And in no way, just because I disagree with that uh, that opinion, and maybe vehemently disagree with that opinion, uh, does that make you any less of a human being, or make you stupid, or cause me to call you any names? That's how that's how we roll here on the State. The union.
2: My My biggest hot take on last week's pod was I said the Keith Hernandez episode was the best Seinfeld episode ever. I'm strongly considering putting out a top 10 list of that, and I can't wait to hear the reaction.
1: What are other contenders out there? Ah, uh, the, uh, um, uh, what's the, uh, how should I say this? The, um,
2: The contest.
1: The contest. There you go, yes. Um... <laughs>
2: Uh, the, the the Bubble Boy episode is definitely going to be up there. I'm a huge fan of that
1: one. I don't want to give it away boys, here. So
2: so next week, we'll, we'll do top five right. U.S. goalkeepers, and we'll have a All right. so, yeah, Seinfeld list to Send us, send to us what you think
1: your favorite uh, Seinfeld episode is. What was the one where the uh, the girl looked different in the light than not in the light? She looked pretty and then, and then not, and yeah, not so pretty. Then. Yeah, it's Two-Face. Oh, it God. That... <laughs> All right, well, send us uh, send us your thoughts on Mossy's top 10 when it comes to Brazil. Send me your thoughts on uh, top five goalkeepers. I will have that for you next week, but I've already kind of given it away in terms of what uh, is number one. But I said I can be convinced uh, going forward. All right, is that the end of uh, Ask Alexi there, Mossy? Yep, that's it. All right, moving on. The Back 3. All right, we're coming down the home stretch here. Uh, our back three is upon us. Biggest stories, games, moments from the uh, world of soccer, both domestic and international. Mossy, what do you have lined up for us in our back three?
2: All right, let's start with the Champions League match they won impressions. I've said on this podcast that. Uh, Messi and Ronaldo no longer being in the same league, playing for rival clubs, has, to me, lessened the rivalry. I don't, I'm don't. i not always comparing them side by side. But in the Champions League, you could argue that you can go back to doing that because they are competing in the same competition there. So uh, round one definitely went to Messi. He got a hat-trick in Barcelona's win over PSV, while Ronaldo got sent off in the first half of Juve's game against Valencia. As far as that sending off, by the way, the way it works is... It's an automatic one-game suspension. There's no way to rescind that. But for anything to be tacked on after that, it would have to be the disciplinary committee. And word is they're not going to do that. So he'll miss a home game against Young Boys, Match Day 2, but he'll be back for those two United games, which everybody wants him to play in, Match Day 3 at Old Trafford, and then Match Day 4 at home. So I think that's where this is going to go. The hearing is September 27th. It's interesting because in the Premier League, a straight red card, you get an automatic three games, but it can be rescinded completely upon review. So in this case, there's no recourse for him for it to get rescinded completely but it's probably only going to be the one game which is good but i mean did you think that he will play at old trafford Trafford. oh okay Uh, did did you think that red card was
1: ridiculous Uh, i was going to ask you the same thing i would have had no problem with it not being a red card but i get why it's a red card you didn't think it was as ridiculous as everybody else was making it out no you can't do that in this day and age do you think it would have been upheld if var was in play yeah, I mean, he, it might have because you know there was he, because he, he gave a red card. Yeah, he talked yeah. to his folks and he gave and he gave a red card. They could have said up that it was a clear and obvious error that you gave a red card, he could have gone and, and reviewed it and said no. He, just don't touch people. I mean, <laughs> it's... It, it, and you have, to, you have to evolve. You have to adapt. You have to adjust. I, I was... Uh, uh, oh, oh, you want my, uh, my NFL thing? The uh, Clay, Clay... Clay Matthews? Matthews? Roughing Clay the Matthews, passer, yeah. yes. Roughing the passer. I, I, was, I was so obsessed with this this weekend, for those that don't know. The NFL has modified, changed, added rules, as they do, as, as it goes on, in terms of what roughing the passer is. And there is this consternation out there, both from the fan base and the media and from the individual players as to they don't quite know what it is now and what is and, and isn't. But the league was very, very clear. This is what's going on. Everybody knows the rules. You, you just don't, don't touch it. And whether it's slapping a guy in the head or grabbing somebody's hair uh, or grabbing a little knot of somebody's hair, you don't need to do that. That is, That is just petulant Cristiano Ronaldo who feels a sense of entitlement. And, and look, he's one of the greatest, if not the greatest player ever to play the game. That's almost normal to feel that and to feel that you were harmed and to have that ego become unchecked for a moment. That's, that's no surprise, but it's also no excuse. So I, 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 didn't, I wasn't as aggrieved by it as someone. On the Messi front, I was thinking about this. If
2: you're Argentine right now, do you get any pleasure out of watching Messi do this for Barcelona? Or is the wound still too fresh? And, and, and at, at some point, it sort of loses its luster to see him do this for something, someone else when he can't do it for you.
1: Well, it depends on whether you feel that he... The reason why he can't do it for Argentina is because he's holding back something and he doesn't enjoy it as much, or if you feel that the reason why he can't do it for Argentina is playing for an inferior uh, team than when he plays uh, with Barcelona. I think... if I, I mean, look, I don't know, but from the outside... I think it's probably a combination of both. I don't get the feeling that there is the joy, and it's not—it's not a—it's not, not that he doesn't like representing Argentina. It doesn't have a, a love for his homeland, and I know he came over early and all that kind of stuff. But this whole this whole notion that he you know that he's Spanish now or you know no that's that's not true at all or Catalan whatever whatever you want to end up being that's not that's not true at all. Uh, I do believe that ultimately he feels Argentina despite where you know where he has spent most, most of his life. But I do feel that when he comes and plays with Argentina, he feels an added pressure that I think ultimately he feels he can't live up to because of the lack of talent that's around him. Now, that, that type of talent, there are 99% of the national teams out there would love to have that talent around. But the national team also isn't necessarily from a, from a young age and from a long period of time developed around Messi. A little bit of it is, but certainly not in the way that Barcelona has been over the years. So uh, that's, that's how I see this whole strange thing play out when it comes to Messi and Argentina.
2: A couple more things on the Champions League. Uh, there's, a, there's a big Neymar rant coming, but first, let's hit on the Americans. Uh, Pulisic with the winner for Dortmund against Bruges, yep. McKinney with an assist, and Schalke's draw with for Porto. Uh, so w- what did you make
1: of that? I thought that for Christian Pulisic, this was something that he needed to do. Uh, This is a Christian Pulisic who uh, is now being accused of dodging the U.S. team, which I don't think he is, but certainly he needs to get back on the field with the U.S. national team. Uh, This is also a Christian Pulisic who we know there's plenty of challengers uh, behind him, and we didn't want to see him get Wally pipped. Well, he said there is no Wally pip happening here. Not only did he come on over this week and score the goal in Champions League and score the goal in his Bundesliga outing, but he proved that he is the leader of this team good things almost solely happened when he had the ball. He was in a proactive type of mode, an aggressive type of mode, a forward-thinking type of mode that set him apart regardless of the fact that he's American. That's that's all we're all proud of that. But if you had no idea who these players were and you watched that, you would immediately zone in on Christian Pulisic and say Without this without this guy, this team is nothing. And certainly in this form under Lucien Favre, what Borussia Dortmund has become, this more pragmatic and therefore, you know, in parentheses, boring team, Christian Pulisic is the entertainment value and the exciting part of it right now. So a huge week for Christian Pulisic.
2: Are you ready for my
1: Neymar hot yes. take? Yes. Yes. Go ahead. Lay it on me.
2: I think I miss diving Neymar <gasps> because... He's making an effort this season to curb his diving and theatrics. There was none of that at Anfield, but it's also made him strangely subdued. I, I think he kind of fed off the hate from the crowd and played with a ferocity when he when he was diving and getting under the skin of people. And and I'm just not seeing that right now. I thought his performance was ridiculous against Liverpool in that game. Uh, he looked like he didn't want to be out there. And Thomas Tuchel got it completely wrong in that game. I mean, PSG had a terrible summer. They didn't sign a defensive midfielder, so he's starting Marquinhos there and trying to pretend like he thinks that's his best position. It's uh, they also got rid of a couple of midfielders, Los Celso and Pastore. So they they have no cover for Verratti who was suspended. He had to start Di Maria there. And he's, he's come up with this new formation this season, like a 3-5-2 to work around some of these issues. But he didn't feel comfortable enough playing it in that game. So he just played a 4-3-3. And I thought the way he set up his team was ridiculous. And I, I joked on Twitter, I was getting flashbacks to the World Cup because you have... That entire flank, like Liverpool's right side, was completely exposed because you had a shaky defensive left back, Juan Bernat, playing the role of Marcelo. You have a midfielder was not really a midfielder, Di Maria playing the role of Coutinho, and then Neymar not tracking back, and so that entire side of the field was exposed for Trent Alexander-Arnold to keep bursting up the field, and I thought the way Tuchel set up his team was horrible. He never adjusted. They got completely outplayed. That was an awful performance. They should have lost by more. It's amazing they almost stole a point in that game. So, I mean, I don't, I'm, But you, I, it's you, one you... game, but, you know, PSG, they don't get many chances to, right. like, <laughs> prove themselves, and this was one that they let completely go by the wayside.
1: but, the, the, but but your big takeaway is that you want the heel of Neymar back that's what you want it's my, my my favorite like Aesop's fable is, is of the dad and the uh, kid uh, walking their uh, their cow to town and they, they go anyway it's it's a long it's a long fable but ultimately it's that you if uh, if you if you try to please everyone you end up pleasing nobody so be be who you are so do you want you want, yes. you want uh, Neymar to be yeah. the diver uh, and to be that heel. And Thomas Tuchel, if if you spent all summer supposedly thinking about this
2: snazzy new formation, then play it in the real games too. Because yeah, then he went back to it against Wren this weekend and it looked good. And oh, great, but it's against Wren. Like, I want to see it against Liverpool and see if it can work. And and don't start Juan Bernat, please. You, they, have, they have this fantastic young left back, Stanley Ansaki, <laughs> Play him, please. He's 10 times better than Bernardi He just signed a new contract. He's staying with you. Play him. So uh, PSG have a lot of issues right now. Uh, in who, fact, who PSG- I, if, I, if I'm making a list of teams that can win the Champions League this season, and you know how high I am on Mbappe, who, right, by the right, way, scored yeah. in this game, I think right, is the greatest yeah. thing ever, the second coming of Pele. But I'm almost to the point where I can't even put PSG on a list of contenders wow. because I'm, I'm that wow. down on that you team right down. now. You
1: are down. You are down. Who did they play this weekend, PSG? Ren. Yeah,
2: nobody cares. Okay, moving on. <laughs> All right. We've got a big week coming up in Alex Dowd's world... Uh, oh. A lot of Alex Dowd on this know, week's spot. I keep bringing him up. No Francis anymore, so Alex Dowd gets to get all the, all the glory. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, we've got uh, two Chelsea-Liverpool games to look forward to. There's a midweek League Cup game, and then they play next weekend at Stamford Bridge, a game that, frankly, would have had more juice if they were both 6-0, and but Chelsea dropped points this weekend. They drew against West Ham, so uh, Liverpool are perfect, Chelsea are not. But still, two games to look forward to. My for overarching question is about the League Cup. Jurgen Klopp gets hit over the head over the fact that he hasn't won a trophy yet with Liverpool. But the League Cup is where this trophy stuff starts to get a little goofy to me. I mean, it, w- would it really affect your opinion of the job he's doing at Liverpool in one way or the other if they won the League Cup or not? Don't I care. mean, shouldn't he put all his energies into stuff like the Premier League and the Don't Champions care. League? Yeah, I feel that way too. In but this are... day and
1: age with the Super Club and, and exactly. with the amount of money, with the amount of players that you have pointing to a, a little little trophy as to you wanted you you, you wanted trophies there I give you trophy <laughs> exactly well,
2: I mean th- but there are, are people that think no he's got to win something so I mean they got to the Champions League final last season didn't win a trophy he's, he got criticized for that if they lose in the round the 16 of the Champions League this season and, and don't come near winning the Premier League but win the League Cup is anybody gonna look at that as like this was a step forward for him at this club because he won a trophy no you would say it's a step back because in the competitions that mattered he performed worse so
1: I find this whole trophy thing it, it can get a little bit out of whack they didn't me. win champions league last year what if they w- w- would would you rather have them win fa cup or something like that and as and instead of champ or instead of finishing runners up in champions league no no of course I mean, not. there, there is a hierarchy when it <laughs> comes to trophies and if you're just gonna uh you're just gonna rest on winning a trophy then what are we what are we doing here especially with some of these ridiculous trophies all right what else
2: And we'll end on this MLS playoffs. Uh, I told you I went to the uh, Galaxy game yesterday. They got a big win, 3-0 over the Seattle Mm -hmm. Sounders. Uh, So that improves their situation. Uh, What's your overall take on the Galaxy, whether they can get in, and the MLS playoff picture as a whole?
1: I mean, it's going to be real close right now because uh, the LA Galaxy is right behind Seattle, I'm not sure they're gonna catch Salt Lake, so it's gonna be a battle between the Vancouver Whitecaps at 40 points, LA Galaxy at 41, uh, and Seattle Sounders at 44. So that's gonna be a fun little battle. We will actually have a, uh, what do we have, a whip around show coming up uh, later on sometimes? Uh, Well, I'll I'll tell you more about that in a little bit. (laughs) But uh, I know Rob Stone and I are gonna be doing uh, some stuff where we're whipping around a bunch of different uh, games that are going on, because it's gonna come down to the wire when it comes to the playoff race here, uh, especially when it comes to the Western Conference, and Right now, I mean, you got that DC United team that is flying, has games in hand, and is sitting five points b- behind Montreal. So uh, this is this is a fun time of year as everybody jostles for uh, for a chair in this musical chairs type of thing when it comes to making the playoffs. A- as everybody knows, MLS does not have promotion relegation. What MLS does have is this playoff line, and for a lot of teams, not all teams, but for a lot of teams, that is the 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 line that delineates uh, and separates between. Good and bad success and failure. You don't make the playoffs in a league where actually more than half the teams make the playoffs uh, that's a problem and you will be you will be called for having a failure of a year as a lot of these teams will. now some for some of them it's 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 not, nothing new for some of it it will be new but our friend you know, Brad Friedel, also at 35 points right now uh, with DC United. So they're fighting, jousting for this uh, final spot. So it'll be fun uh, as we come down to the wire here when it, comes to, when it comes to Major League Soccer. And if Dom Kinnear and that LA Galaxy team that you saw, well, if that LA Galaxy team shows up uh, over the next few games, they're going to make a real run at possibly squeaking into the playoffs. And we have seen it before, not just with uh, other teams, but in particular also with the Galaxy. You squeak in, then anything can happen, especially when you've got Zlatan up there. Anything else? That's it. All right, so that uh, finishes off our back three, and it brings us to the end of yet another episode of the State of the Union podcast. And at the end, I always give you my one big thing. Uh, You mentioned that Francis is gone, so I think it's only appropriate that we welcome in a new member to our team. Luis Aguilar, right? Did I say that correctly? Luis is from Pasadena. I asked him if he knew anything about soccer, and he said uh, that he's been working Bundesliga, unbeknownst to us because they evidently won't let him uh, even come face-to-face with any of us in the... uh, the beer cellar that we are working. Uh, welcome to the State of the Union podcast. I will uh, make sure that everybody knows your uh, home number and your address if they have any problems, so they can uh, yell and scream at you. You've done a great job so far. Uh, well done on uh, on the prompter and everything else. Uh, it only gets easier from here, or harder, depending on uh, as you uh, as you look at it. My big thing from today's podcast goes back to my State of the Union, and it comes down to this. And I and I really am interested, and I don't know. You know, sometimes in my State of the Union, I give a definitive opinion about something. And I know that I went back and forth because I don't know if I have an answer other than to say that I don't believe that Major League Soccer as a business is responsible for uplifting and providing opportunities for the American player. Keep in mind, though, that Major League Soccer was founded on this principle. It's actually in their collateral, if you go back and look in 1996 in stuff that was written and very public about the what they wanted to do, they talked about wanting to help uh, the U.S. men's national team through this approach. Well, if you're going to talk about it, if that's what you're going to be, fine. But as I said before, I want them to do what the, what is best for their business, what is best for their league, and individually for what the teams. So if you are a team the Portland Timbers, and your Merritt Paulson, you want to do something that you feel is best for what you're selling, and you don't think that a domestic player is worth the time uh, or is going to sell, then have at it. I don't don't like, (laughs) and not to get too political, I, I don't like big government. I don't like people telling others what they should do within reason. Yes we, need res- yes, we need minimum uh, requirements when it comes to soccer, and we need standards when it comes to soccer. But ultimately, when it comes to the business of soccer, I want to give people the opportunity to do what they feel is. And look, if there is another league coming up that believes that the domestic player is right for their business, and if it is right for business, then there's an opportunity for them to give the people what you are saying that they want. But ultimately from Major League Soccer or any league standpoint, or really any product standpoint, you need to give the people what they want. Not necessarily what I want or what you want, what you think that they want. And that's what's going to happen. But in doing so, recognize that I don't want you coming and complaining later on when there are American players that are nurtured, that are fostered, some even through the MLS system in terms of the academies out there, that then say, you know what? I have a better option And my future is better by going overseas and bypassing Major League Soccer. Because this is a situation that you have created. This is a situation, to a certain extent, that you can fix. If you opt not to do it, then don't complain later on when an entire generation of American soccer players don't look to you as their, as you like to say, league of choice going forward. All right. With that, we come to the end of another podcast. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. As always, you're making this so much fun for us. We do have a, a, a real good time doing this. And I will tell you that on my constant travels, I come across a lot of people, and I've, I've been doing this for, for many, many decades, but it's really kind of gratifying to talk to people and to see people. Some people that just say, hey, I listen to your podcast. I was on the street the other day, guy walked up, didn't want to s- stick around or say hello or talking and they say, hey, I listen to your podcast, it's great, and just kept walking. That, that was wonderful. Uh, I get people that will say, hey, Tomasi, blah, 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 blah. So, I mean, it's very, very cool that people are listening to it, that people find it, uh, I guess, uh, some way informative and entertaining. We try to do our best here. We can certainly get better. Uh, we promise you that we will get better. But thank you from the bottom of our hearts uh, for tuning in uh, each week. And we will have another episode of the State of the Union podcast next week. Mossy, anything to say before we go? No, that's it. All right, wonderful. See you next
0: week. Size of the day.